This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a great weekend. Brian Kilmeade here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fast moving, a lot going on. It's going to be a big week. I mean, every day is consequential because we're all focused on November 3rd and we're all focused on the coronavirus because it's affect everybody's lives. We'll keep you updated on what's happening. I'm going to be with uh, Mark, Dr. Mark Siegel in about 10 minutes to give us the latest on the coronavirus because we should really be looking out in Alaska, Oklahoma, Hawaii, believe it or not. That's everyone's getting the heads up there. And a few other states, uh, including uh, Wisconsin, keep an eye out because it looks like the coronavirus could be coming your direction. They're trying to give these states a, head, uh, a heads up. What I'm starting to realize is the coronavirus has a vote of its own. And it's kind of deciding where to search. And you could say it's all personal behavior. I'm not buying it. I think we're going to find out that this virus got a, 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 a mind of its own, too. Missouri, look out, Montana uh, is included on that list. 478 deaths on Sunday, 50,000 new cases uh, as well. So we're uh, hardly out of the woods. But there's a lot of other countries suffering, too, including Australia, India, South Africa, and Israel. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Gunfire in Harlem Sunday is just the latest example of a spike in gun violence. New York has now exceeded the total number of shootings for all of 2019 with five months of the year still to go. Law and disorder is not coming, not ending anytime soon. A lot of problems in major cities, Portland, Chicago, Minneapolis, and most of all, New York. Record homicides and shootings. Indications in all those cities I mentioned that the defunded and dispirited police are unable to help as more and more officials and police commissioners have the protest head to their homes instead of the streets. Number two. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban areas. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, coronavirus not going away and the rescue package remains far away as Menace Pelosi uh, finds a new enemy. And that is Dr. Burks. But Dr. Burke's response make the speaker look as small and petty as we know her to be. Number one. It's not really a debate if only one side is willing to tell the truth. Giving him that sort of national forum to continue to spout, you know, to get to 21,000 or 22,000 lies, I think just isn't worth it for, for the Democrats or for, or for Biden. You buying that? Joe Lockhart, spokesperson for the convicted liar, and that is Bill Clinton still screwing up, appearing on Bernstein's log on our, uh, with underage, uh, underage women on that island. So Joe Lockhart spends his career... The zenith of the career was trying to explain away Bill Clinton's behavior. Now he's trying to say Donald Trump is not worthy of debating. 
2020 comes into focus. Biden will run from Trump. He is not campaigning and possibly not even debating while stealing many of his themes, including bring bring America back theme in Ohio. Meanwhile, many in his party are panicking because he can't seem to pick a number two. I'll tell you how Trump plans to fight through it. So why would they be panicking? Because they're all beating up on each other. Republicans are taking some shots at Karen Bass because she seems to love Cuba. Pro-communist in her 20s, praising him in his death. Fidel Castro, of course. I shouldn't should know that. Uh, and then saying, well, I apologize. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Karen Bass, without any discernible conver- uh, uh, credits. Kamala Harris is being hit left and right while being backed by a famous uh, attorney. And then you have, of course, people going after Harris and then people going after uh, Bass on the left. Because they want the spot, like Elizabeth Warren, for example. And it's getting a sense of panic because Joe Biden won't actually make a decision. The other people that are in contention, uh, Tammy Duckworth, who Chris Wallace forgot to ask if she would take down uh, if she would take down the George Washington statue, as you indicated uh, earlier last month, which is kind of interesting to fight for the country, do what she did, which is extraordinary. Uh, her chopper crash, she lost both legs. She obviously is serving a country for 20 years. Doesn't Not sure if George Washington's statue should be up. So the other big story is the rescue package. The rescue package is $3 trillion, which we don't have, out to save an economy, which is just reeling because we brought it to a halt and can't seem to bring it back because this country is still riddled with the virus given to us by China. So we have a rescue package. Okay, fine. They want to give money to the states. We do not want to bail out states on pension packages that they shouldn't have signed to begin with. They want to give everyone an extra $600, but we have restaurateurs and department store and retail stores that cannot get employees because people are making more money with their unemployment and and the $600 than they would be if they worked. So they are not working. They could have extended that package, but they didn't. Because Democrats did not want to do that because it would have made it seem as though the Republicans were winning, even though they were getting what they wanted. Go figure. So they're going to go into negotiations now. They want to get rid of the salt tax. It allowed states in high tax areas to write off their state taxes. They want to put that back and give them that ability. Nothing to do with the virus. They don't want to do the payroll tax cut. That's fine. So the rescue package is really where it goes uh, from here. Here is James Clyburn. When asked about the $600 being extended for a week, which they want while they negotiate a new package, this is what the leader said. Cut 21. Why won't the Democrats in Congress agree to a short-term measure that, that brings back this unemployment assistance and then deal with those other issues later? What's your answer? Well, I would ask them, is short-term one week or is it six months? or even 90 days, I really think we ought to quit jerking uh, low-income people around. This one week, one week, two weeks, this jerking people around is not the way we ought to be conducting ourselves uh, as custodians of this great democracy of ours. Is it it the most ridiculous, stupid answer you've ever heard in your life? What an insult. The follow-up is, what's jerking people around by having another week to negotiate? They negotiated on Saturday. You didn't go, even though you're part of leadership. You went home. So you say stop jerking people around because we don't really believe, I don't believe the $600 is a good move. Lindsey Graham said it. It's going to depress the unemployed. Uh, It's going to keep the unemployment numbers higher than they have to be. 
Everybody knows you lost jobs through no fault of your own. We get it. 2008 was a different story. This is totally, by the way, there was a lot of innocent victims there too. But this is no one's problem except China. Maybe we could have won sooner. Maybe Nancy Pelosi couldn't have walked through Chinatown. Maybe the mayor of New York City shouldn't have said we have to celebrate for the Chinese because they can't. We would have probably known it was in Europe in December when they blitzed and came here as tourists. It would have helped. So Steve Mnuchin negotiating with Nancy Pelosi and then Mark Meadows going to bat. They were kind of optimistic going to bat for the president of the United States. So Mark Meadows is an extremely strong surrogate. He's extremely aggressive. He was a very strong surrogate when he was just a congressman in North Carolina, and he was very strong again. But he came out and basically said, I am not ready to cut a deal. We're not that close. Cut 19. Senator Schumer, the Democratic leader, said it was the best discussions we've had so far. Would you put it that way? Well, I would characterize it that way, but we still have a long ways to go. I I can tell you that uh, we've spent the last three days, actually last four days, trying to get to some kind of consensus, at least to start uh, negotiating. Uh, Yesterday was uh, a step in the right direction. Uh, our staffs are actually working today. We'll be meeting again tomorrow. But I'm not optimistic that there will be a solution in the very near term. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we've got to have it a week. We'll see what we can get done. If something's going to get done, it should get done quick because there's unnecessary pain that people could be going through. Nobody likes spending a trillion dollars on overdraft, but we don't really have a choice. Because the hospitality industry, the tourism industry, uh, if you own a gym, there are so many people flat on their back. If you're in real estate, if you're in commercial real estate, you know, people are just fleeing major cities. you got empty buildings just sitting there. What are you supposed to do? So these PPP loans, which could be grants, could get us through a difficult time to so these cities can start rebuilding. And before I go to break on it, because I want to give Dr. Siegel some time, if you got some questions, write me right now, briankillme.com. Write me some questions if you want them. I'll try to relay them as quick as I can. But I want to find out what's going on uh, with this virus, the testing, and why some of the countries are seeing this rise. But And also opening up our schools. But just know, the law and disorder that we're seeing— in New York, in Minneapolis, in Chicago, in Austin, Texas, in Seattle, in Portland, is alarming to a degree. Only thing is more alarming is how Democrats don't seem to care. In the 50 largest cities, homicides are up 25%. 36 of the 50 cities saw homicides rise all in double digits rates. Think about that. If you look at New York, they have 784 homicides this year. They had 776 last year, all of last year. We're only in August. And the word is it's only going to get worse from here, according to a professor at John Jay College, because they basically are taking a thousand police officers in New York City and having them deal with protesters instead of crime. They also disbanded their anti-crime unit. The New York Post is the only newspaper acting responsibly to say, hey, governor, hey, mayor, you're allowing this city to undo all the progress they have made. So we have no tourists. We got nobody working. And now you want the federal government to write you a check because you've done nothing except plant, plant, uh, in the mayor's case, paint Black Lives Matter in Queens and across from Trump Tower. And that's the story you knew in in Chicago, too. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, Dr. Mark Siegel on the latest on the virus, our quest to fight it, how close we are in therapies, 
And what's Russia doing? A vaccine's not even ready, and they're giving it to their people. I'm really glad I forgot to move there. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you look at what happened in Europe when they shut down or locked down or went to shelter in place, however you want to describe it, they really did it to the tune of about 95 plus percent of the country did that. When you actually look at what we did, even though we shut down, even though it created a great deal of difficulty, we really functionally shut down only about 50 percent in the sense of the totality of the country. Are you kidding? We shot down. Everything shut down. And our economy still paying the price for that. I cannot believe he's saying that. He was praising Americans for the discipline that they showed that brought the curve down in the Northeast. And it wasn't happening anywhere else. Joining us now to talk about that is Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, Fox News contributor. And he's basically become the nation's doctor through this pandemic. Wrote a book about it before it happened. Dr. Siegel, I hate to go against Anthony Fauci, but he's just wrong on that, isn't he? I think he's just wrong on that, and I'll put it a little differently than you just did, though I I agree with you. Here's what he's wrong about. We shut down states that had no virus, and their economies strangled. So don't say that we shut down 50% of the country. We shut shut down the whole country, and there was terrible price to pay everywhere. Medical, psychological, economic, social. The thing we didn't shut down, and here's what he should have said, Brian, is that the compliance across the board may not have been what it should have been, may not have been what it was in Europe and Asia, people being noncompliant, going to bars. Well, those phase reopenings included bars, which I never understood. And what about protests, Dr. Fauci? You wouldn't say that word by name at the hearing last week. But, you know, you're talking about we're going to wear goggles now and shields. Meanwhile, you wouldn't say that, that this virus is spreading at protests in hotspots? That's the part that didn't shut down, Brian. That's the part that didn't shut down. Gatherings, protests, bars, 
restaurants late at night, people without a mask, people cavorting. So that's the 50%. We shut down 100%, but 50% didn't listen. What bothers me, and I thought about this over the weekend, is Dr. Fauci's policies are coming out of interviews. He'll just bring up casually, hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe we probably won't have football next year. Really? Where did, where did that come from? Oh, maybe it is okay to go on a dating site. What do you mean? Uh, maybe we should be wearing goggles. I never thought. So if you open up and say these are the things we, we're going to be looking at and discussing, and I'll expand on it, but he's setting policies judging by what podcast he's doing, which I think is, re- is unbelievably irresponsible. Well, I think uh, also he's not gauging, and he is a very, very smart guy with a lot of experience in virology, but less experience in public health. And I think he's not gauging what the impact of this has on the public when they suddenly start hearing a word like shields. Are you kidding me? We're going to be all walking around in spacesuits. I mean, there is something medical about shields protecting you against incoming virus more than masks, but you've got to be in an area where you're having a a heavy amount of virus that, that, that is affecting, you know, putting you at risk like in a hospital, like when I'm seeing patients, I wear a shield, but you're going to have it with people walking down the street. The fear factor goes up enormously, and again, the economic cost is huge. So you're right, he is reacting to questions asked depending on who the questioner is, and that's, that's not the best way to set policy. Dr. Siegel, I, want you, I don't want to bring you into politics, but I have to because they brought Dr. Deborah Birch into politics. Here's the Speaker of the House yesterday, cut 13. In a closed meeting on Friday, you accused Dr. Deborah Burks of the Coronavirus Task Force of spreading disinformation about the pandemic. Is that true? I think the president is spending, uh, spreading disinformation about the virus, and she is, his, uh, she is his appointee. So I don't have confidence there, no. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, when I was at the White House a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Dr. Burks, and I talked about her to the entire team there, and said, they told me that she was she prepares 24 hours. She's there putting together folders. She's looking at every statistic in the country. She's not really political, and she's prepping the president all the time. So, you know, guilt by association. Nancy Pelosi doesn't like the president, so she's attacking a really, really top infectious disease specialist with a ton of experience at HIV-AIDS. I mean, she was an Obama appointee. I mean, enough with the politics already. Dr. Burks is very, very well prepared, and she also varies her message, Brian, with what the news of the day is regarding the virus, you know, where it's spreading. That's how you know she's authentic. She's responding to how we're doing rather than a superimposed politics. Interesting. Uh, I'm watching Australia, the, uh, the Victoria, uh, the site of another disaster uh, in the Victoria province. In Melbourne, virtually banned everyone from doing anything, from even going outside. In South Africa, they surpassed over 500,000 cases. India, that's 50,000 a day. Is this all behavior, or is there something going on with this virus that is bringing, in the case of Australia in particular, a second hit? I'm worried about Australia. I talked to a general practitioner on the ground in Australia last week. She's a terrific doctor, and she said that there is a surge now. That could also be what we were always concerned about, which is a second surge, occur, a second wave occurring in the fall. It's late fall now, early winter in, in Australia. They're doing a lot to try to prevent spread. The case numbers are not what we have here by any stretch yet, but, but it is concerning that this is happening in Australia. One thing else in Australia, though, is they're not having much flu this year, which is a good thing, because this is right when they should be having their flu season. So our flu season may end up being being COVID, but that's not, you know, that's not what we want either. It's all about how you prevent spread and, and, and decrease spread of the virus. Dr. Siegel, can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. 
Good to see you, Brian. Dr. Siegel uh, joining us now to debunk a lot of the politics that are going on with this. And Anthony Fauci, I hate to tell you, it doesn't walk on water. Half the stuff he says doesn't even make any sense. And he doesn't practice what he preaches. I mean, you've seen some of these uh, pictures of him. He's a great guy, probably brighter than I could ever imagine I would ever be. But I don't want him setting policy for the country. And when you go after Dr. Burks because she doesn't hate Trump, shows how ridiculous this whole thing has gotten. we got to be able to weave through it. Uh, back with uh, Mark Thiessen. Mark's going to unwind this election and the first interview by Bill Stepdean. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to see President Trump on the debate stage against Joe Biden. As you're noting, we're already seeing uh, the, the liberal left, uh, the liberal media trying to, to create trap doors for, for Joe Biden to escape uh, his commitment and his obligation to debate Donald Trump on a debate stage. And we're going to keep applying pressure to the, to the Biden campaign. We take our cues from the American people, American people in those 16 states that, that are going to be voting before September 29th. They're the ones who want to see the candidates on the debate stage. Really starting to see grassroots pressure amp up from those corners of the country who, who expect, want, and deserve the chance to see their options right in front of them on the debate stage. Uh, Mark Thiessen joins us now to discuss this. And that, of course, uh, you probably actually, I couldn't say, of course, uh, that is Bill Septian. Uh, he is Stepian. He is the new campaign manager for Donald Trump. If he's going to win, it's going to become from Bill's strategy. Mark Thiessen's here, a former presidential speechwriter for Bush and a Washington Post columnist and a Fox News contributor and a fellow of the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, I, I, we're seeing some signs that they're trying to set the table so Joe Biden doesn't debate. I saw the editorial, today's New York Times, debates have become just a big show with a bunch of quips. Joe Lockhart says he lies, don't debate. Do you really think Joe Biden's angling not to debate? Of course he is. He'd love to get an excuse not to debate. I mean, this started a few weeks ago, actually, with I think just uh, Tom Friedman had a column saying that unless... Trump releases his tax returns, then don't uh, then don't debate him. They're looking for an excuse because the reality is they're they are afraid that Joe Biden uh, will expose himself as being not fully there uh, in a debate stage. I mean, how is he how has he done so well in the last few months hiding in his basement? Uh, doing as few interviews as possible, doing uh, getting as little exposure as possible, little danger uh, as you know, they don't want to change the strategy. It's working for them right now. Uh, but it's but it's different. If, if Americans expect the presidential candidates to debate uh, and if Joe Biden doesn't show up on the debate stage, then it'll be like an admission that he's mentally incapable of doing the debate. They'll come up with all sorts of excuses, but Americans will see. right. Through. So why do you think the attacks on Biden sleepy, out of touch, doesn't know what's going on? Why has that not been more effective for the Trump team to this point? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I, I think the attacks on him and particularly mocking him the way the president did in his interview with Chris Wallace are a mistake. Uh, two things. One, they lower the bar for the debates for Biden. I mean, you, what you're supposed to be doing is raising the bar for your opponent. What Trump should be saying is, look, Joe Biden's been in Washington for 42 years. He's done probably 15, 20 debates in his lifetime. Uh, he's a really good debater. He knows how to prepare for debate. You know, that that. He shouldn't be lowering the bar because then all say if Biden strings together a couple of coherent sentences, he wins. Um, and then the other thing is it's sensitive to seniors. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of see, and then Trump, you know, won with seniors in, in, in 2016. There's a lot of seniors who, you know, they're, they're probably not comfortable with a president who, who is, who's having memory problems, but they don't like people being mocked for it because a lot of them are struggling with memory problems. A lot of their friends and loved ones are struggling with memory problems. So you don't want to make fun of the candidate for doing that. Um, and then the, the most effective way to let that, to, you know, have that an impact is for people to see it with their own eyes. You know, it's 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 not good to be running around saying that you know Sleepy Joe he can't get over he'd be on the floor crying if you interviewed him. Chris. You know what, what people want need to see is Joe Biden not being able to hold his own against Donald Trump in a debate, which is why the debates are so important. And if he doesn't do the debate, uh, then it's an admission that he can't. So it's interesting. Uh, the debate is one thing. The other thing that I think the president's got a lot of substance behind the accusation is on mail-in voting. The more you look at this, the more you analyze this. I'm watching 538 do with problems to take a look at uh, by the problem with mail-in voting on ABC, expecting them to say it's no problem and basically lie. They they say it's a huge problem. They bring up Martha McSally yeah. winning by one over cinema, and in a few days, as they count all the ballots, she loses by two. That's pretty tough to yeah. swallow. And you think that yeah. Trump is going to win on election day and then just watch these states just disappear off his column? It's possible. I mean, it could happen. I mean, here, here's here's the problem with mail-in voting that people don't realize is that there's a difference between absentee voting and mail-in voting. So when you when you absentee vote, I go down to the election office and say, I'm going to be out of state on election day. I'd like a, I'd like a ballot. I show them my ID. They give me a ballot or they mail me a ballot um, and I've requested it. That's very different from sending millions of ballots to everybody on the voter rolls, which includes probably dead people, <laughs> you know, not not. You know, from a fraud perspective, but just people die right between elections. And so you're going to have millions of ballots floating around, which is an invitation to fraud. But the bigger problem, you know, Trump, Trump keeps the mistake Trump keeps making is focusing on fraud. It's it's the failure rate. Right. So like there was a there was an MIT study that in, two, in of the 2008 election and it found that the that mail in ballots had a 21 percent failure rate. One in five ballots that were that were either requested or sent in didn't get counted, either because the signatures didn't match. There was no postmark. Uh, people never received their ballots. So if you and that was in a very small sample of mail in ballots in a uncontested election, very way like that if you have a tight election where you have, you know, tens of millions or, uh, of, of, of mail-in ballots and you have a 21% failure rate, it's going to throw the whole election into chaos. So, you know, Trump, Trump keeps hurting himself by making it an issue of fraud. There's not a lot of evidence that, that uh, of, uh, there's potential for fraud, for sure. But he should just say, look, mail-in ballots don't work. You know, people don't get their votes cast uh, counted. Uh, one out of five people don't get their votes counted when, when, when you do mail-in ballots. It's just these are just facts. And we want people's votes to be counted. We want every vote to be counted. That's what he should. That's you know because fraud allows uh, people to turn to dismiss it and say, oh, there's no evidence that there's widespread fraud with 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 mail-in ballots. Yeah, but there is widespread evidence of widespread failure of the votes to get counted. You're less likely to get your vote counted in a mail-in ballot than you are with an in-person ballot. So I want you to hear uh, five thirty-eight spokesperson. Uh, he um, uh, Nate Silver. He put mm-hmm. this piece together. Uh, with Martha Raddatz uh, filling in for George Stephanopoulos. Consider what happened in the Arizona Senate race in 2018. At midnight on election night, Republican Martha McSally led by about a percentage point. But Democrat Kirsten Sinema eventually won by two and a half points once late arriving mail ballots were counted. That's a pretty big swing. 
The second issue could be problems at voting locations, like the long lines we saw in states like Georgia and Kentucky during their primaries, which could reflect some combination of social distancing, plus fewer poll workers, plus voters not receiving their absentee ballots in time. All of that could lead to poll hours being extended and the possibility of litigation over absentee ballots. Look, nobody wants a replay of Bush versus Gore, but when you have an election in the middle of a global pandemic with a second wave, in fact, possible in the fall, anything can happen. Do you feel better about mail-in voting now? Not at all. Not at all. And again, I mean, his point is, of course, that you have a better chance of not getting your vote counted, uh, which which is true. Now, there's a danger for this for the Republicans because uh, so a lot of our people vote by mail. Right. So, you know, the, the, uh, we, uh, Trump will, by a wide margin, win the military vote for people deployed around the world. Right. We don't want to discourage people. We don't want to they, it would send the message that mail-in voting doesn't is, is no good because we want those military votes. A lot of seniors vote by, by, uh, by uh, mail-in ballot, especially seniors right now in COVID who are the most vulnerable to COVID. Right. So they're going to want to vote for They're going to want to absentee vote. So, it's, you know, if he goes around making the case too strongly that mail-in balloting is is illegitimate, then a lot of Republican voters and Trump voters are not going to be – may lose confidence in it and not vote. Um, and so that's a problem he has faces as well. Uh, Mark Thiessen, our guest, he's uh, bringing some incident analysis here uh, for what we're looking at. Uh, I'm very curious to see – the polling over the next two weeks, because I get the sense, even with all the histrionics going on and voting and don't debate and all this stuff, I really believe by the fall this thing is going to close. And that's going to work exponentially, I believe, for the Trump team, because it'll force a bad candidate out of the basement who will have to actually try to win. And you cannot yeah. put that ball. You He did not win the primaries. He did not earn this victory. It was all because of Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee and that scared everybody. So they propped him up, gave him South Carolina and eventually gave him the nomination. So I want you to hear what Bernie Sanders said on why he needs to get he's trying to inspire his people to go along with Biden. Cut seven. But what we are engaged in now is what we call coalition politics. We're going to fight out our differences after Biden is elected. Mm hmm. But right now, the immediate task is to come together to defeat Trump. And then, as progressives, we're going to do everything that we can to make the Biden administration the most progressive administration that it can become. So when you accuse Biden of being uh, wanting to forget fracking and to defund the police, he says, no, I never said that. Well, I didn't say forget fracking. Doesn't mean it's not going to expand it. He he also made the statement he could be the most progressive president since FDR. So if I gave you this and I told you, make this about if, if you're Trump and I want to define my opponent, what would you do with this, Mark? The, the phrase that Trump has used, which I think is enormously effective, is Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. He is the, he is the, he is the moderate veneer. Uh, uh, I read that. But inside him is an army of AOCs and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warrens uh, who are going to come charging out as soon as he gets through the gates of the White House. Um, and that's 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 really the most effective uh, thing. And on top of that, if you want to see that, I mean, just look at how many, how he's capitulated to the left already. He used to be against against taxpayer funding of abortion. Now he's for it. He used to be against uh, eliminating the filibuster. Now he said, well, it depends on how obstreperous the Republicans are. He's going to he's going to eliminate the filibuster. And this is that that actually is something that's got not enough attention that is going to absolutely raise the stakes of this election. Because if Biden wins, they take the Senate. 
they won't get a 60 vote majority in the Senate, but they will get a majority in the Senate. You think they're going to let uh, Mitch McConnell as the minority leader block uh, the Green New Deal? Do you think they're going to let him block uh, socialized medicine? With, no, they're going to get rid of the filibuster and pass everything by a simple majority. So you're giving you're going to have a situation where AOC, Warren, Bernie Sanders are in charge of our Pelosi are in charge of our government with zero check on their power. Um, and Joe Biden is going to be the, the auto pen president who just signs whatever they send him. Um, they're not going to like let him moderate them. Uh, he's not going to threaten to veto their legislation because he keeps capitulating to them. And Mark, you're 100 percent right. When when I thought that was the headline to come out of that uh, inappropriate eulogy from President Obama talking about filibuster and uh, and throw, overthrowing, you know, talking about uh, all these policies that he wants to implement once Joe Biden wins and how much he hates Trump without mentioning Trump's name. But when he said get rid of the filibuster, it's a relic from Jim Crow. I thought to myself, really? Did someone tell Chuck Schumer that when he was, by the way, which were Democratic policies, when he was begging, when he was begging the Republicans not to use the filibuster in the Supreme Court justice as a Jim Crow relic? So he is, this is really, I thought that Hillary Clinton had tr- trouble getting over this election loss. But, Joe, but Barack Obama had a much harder time. Sure, because he gave us Donald Trump. He's responsible for Donald Trump. You know, if the Democrats hate, hate, hate the Trump uh, administration, they should look to their own failures uh, and the lack of, uh, of bipartisanship. And, they, uh, you know, in the, and remember when Obama campaigned saying we're not a red America or a blue America, we're the United States of America. You know, Joe Biden is saying the same thing now. He's saying, look, I know how to work with Republicans. They're not planning to work with Republicans. They're not planning bipartisanship. They're not planning to put against, put away this, uh, this, uh, you know, this era of divisiveness and come to a new era of comedy and bring the Republicans in and work together in a bipartisan way. They're going to ram through. This party has become so far left that they are they are not going to uh, brook any opposition uh, to their agenda. They are going in four years. Biden's uh, and under Joe Biden, they are going to transform America to the point that even if they even if they don't get reelected after four years, they will have changed our country in such fundamental ways that it'll be unrecognizable. And that's somehow that would President Trump has to make uh, he's got to make that case, but he's got to have other people make that case, too. It can't just be about him. Yeah. He's got to stop saying stuff like that. We're going to cancel it. We're going to postpone the election. I mean, he's been so disciplined in the briefings. Like, you know, the the the, the new uh, and improved coronavirus briefings have been fantastic. And if he had done that from the very beginning, instead of getting into this needless fight, these needless fights with the reporters uh, during the briefings and all the rest of it, he would his approval rating would be through the roof right now. But he keeps undermining it with with these tweets. You know, it's like it's, he's, 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 he needs to be disciplined between now and Election Day, because if he doesn't, he's not going to win. Mark, uh, thanks so much. Always great insight. Thank you. Take care. one 866 We come back. I'll get through some of the emails that you wrote me over the weekend and also get to your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 866 One of the emails kind of intriguing. Uh, we were talking about the $600. 
And I know it's real money, and I know so many families that have to go to their churches or food drives to get food when they were doing upper-middle-class type of salary work, uh, and now it's out. And says, Brian, on unemployment, uh, I usually agree with you, but on unemployment, you are dangerously wrong. If your employer calls you back and you refuse to lose, you, you refuse to, you lose your benefits. I make a lot of money and have been furloughed for five months. The $600 helps a lot. I work with colleges and universities all closed. I live in California, and they are talking opening next year. I'm your age. I have more degrees than you. But as you humiliate people like us who have never been unemployed to stay awake, hoping to save our homes, kids that work part-time should not get 2400 a month. Kids that work part-time should not get 2400 a month. Fix that. We're not going to go, go to work because Democrats hate Trump. So I lose everything. I might have to vote Democrat just to survive. So here's what I'm saying about your situation. Again, through no fault of your own, just judging, let's say everything you said is 100% true. Of course, that could be different. I don't know what you're talking about when you say part-time people getting 2400 If you are working part-time, you should not be eligible for it. Now let me bring it to reality. If you're an employer and you have waiters and waitresses and cooks and hostesses on your staff, they become your friends. And the last thing you want to do is report them to the unemployment bureau or the state to say, I offered them a job back and they didn't take it. So you say, you've been through a lot. I'm going to let you go. And that's what's happening with gyms and all these other things. Ron, listen, WLAD in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Hey, Ron. Morning. I just wanted to go back to about the, the virus. Sure. I, I just, you don't see a lot on the news. I mean, they're talking about voter fraud and everything else. What about the virus fraud? I know people in Florida for a couple of times, and you hear the stories all the time that they waited in line, left early, you get a card in the mail, and you're positive. I know nurses up here in Connecticut that quit their job because they know the doctors are putting it down car accidents as COVID. So why don't the news do a little more on that, you know? So, it, I, you know, you always watch the news and the numbers are, or the corona numbers are up, up, up. By how much, though? You know? Yeah, I, I look at hospitalizations and deaths uh, because these, vir- these tests are ridiculous. I mean, for example, my son tested positive for the antibodies. He's never been sick. I said, great. And then he took another test three months later last week, got it back. And it says he doesn't have the antibodies. Did you really just lose the antibodies? Number one, am I to believe the first test or the second test? Because I don't think I can believe both tests. And if I can believe both tests, that changed the calculus on everything they've been telling us. Mark, listen to WDBO in Orlando. Mark. Hey, Brian, calling you from beautiful Avalon Park this morning. But listen, I'm switching gears from the coronavirus back to politics. But... Uh, you know what's happening today is what happened in 2018 when we lost the house. Yep. We'll have to pick it up next, Mark. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade, the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York City, but heard around the nation and around the world. So glad you're with us today as we get close and closer to November 3rd, which means it's election. The direction of our country is really in the balance. I sometimes just say that and people go, oh, you say that to get listeners. You say that to get viewers. That's not really the case. Can you please have you heard a legitimate challenge to that statement? There is none. 
And when it comes to law and order, what a miserable weekend in Chicago. What a miserable weekend in Minneapolis. What a terrible weekend in Portland. Although, uh, with the federal agents back out, it wasn't nearly as bad as past weekends because it looks like the president made his, um, made his point. But when it comes to New York, I'm just not used to this. For the longest time, I was reporting in New York, crime going down, tourism going up. Remember those days prior to Giuliani and Bloomberg? Now they're all back, and it's getting worse. Homicides in the top 50 largest cities up 24% to 3,612. In terms of New York cities, uh, the Big Apple, the alarming surge in gun crime, Early Sunday resulted with seven more shootings, 10 more victims, including two people hit during a party. Uh, It capped a week with 32 shootings. They'll have 36 separate victims, far more than the 19 attacks the same week last year. And we've already surpassed numbers of shootings, 784 to 776. Not at this point last year in 2019, all of 2019, 776 shootings. Now, here in August, we hit 784. Not getting any better. They say that a thousand, on average, a thousand police officers are pushed to handle the protests. Like when I went to leave Friday, uh, usually, you know, sadly, our city's wide open. So I have a doc's appointment and I said, you know what? I got to take a car home. Normally I hop on the train. So I take a car, I'm a bit of a rush. Everything's shut down. Every cop's in the street. I go, what's going on? Well, six blocks up, there's a protest right through, uh, right through 59th Street. So to keep everybody apart, we got to block off four separate blocks before that. So what is left of the city is totally blocked off. And guess what? With a thousand cops having to herd these protesters who are chanting things bad about them, they're kept out of high crime areas. Combine all that with the dismissal of the anti-crime unit. Now you know the trouble we're in. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Gunfire in Harlem Sunday is just the latest example of a spike in gun violence. New York has now exceeded the total number of shootings for all of 2019 with five months of the year still to go. Law and order is not coming out of our major cities. As I mentioned before, homicides are through the roof. Indications are that the funded, dispirited police are unable to even do what they're supposed to be doing, what they know they have to do because they're not empowered to do it. More on that later. Number two. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban areas. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. Fantastic news, Dr. Burks. Coronavirus not going away. A rescue package remains far away as Menace Pelosi finds a new enemy. It's Dr. Burks. Her response to the speaker's attack makes her look as small as I know she is. Number one. It's not really a debate if only one side is willing to tell the truth. Giving him that sort of national forum to continue to spout, you know, to get to 21,000 or 22,000 lies, I think just isn't worth it for for the Democrats or for for Biden. Right, because you know he's going to get crushed. Joe Lockhart trying to explain why Joe Biden should not debate. New York Times today, why there shouldn't be any debates. New York Times earlier, Thomas Friedman, why the president shouldn't uh, debate because he hasn't released his taxes yet. Uh, They better debate. Meanwhile, uh, many in his party, uh, I'm talking about the Republican Party, want to put together a rescue package. 
for the coronavirus. We'll see where that goes. Trump finally has a plan to fight and draw out Joe Biden. They went dark for a few days. They're recalibrating. Bill Stepien joined us today. First TV appearance since he got the job. It's in from Brad Parscale, and he was solid. But he's got to have a plan. I personally don't care if the head of a part, the head of a campaign is that strong. It's about their messaging, what they're doing with the millions of dollars they're spending, where are they doing it, uh, and what is the strategy. And Joe Biden has been proving a lot tougher for the Trump team to get him out. Sleepy Joe is not resonating. Everybody knows who he is. He's not a guy that is hated, as many people thought. He's been around forever without any uh, possible accomplishments. In fact, some of his negatives are so strong, I'm sure they're not, they, they haven't been brought up adequately. But now everyone's doing two things. They're saying Trump won. Wow. They're admitting Trump won 2016. They had never done that. Said the Russians played a role. We don't know about those votes. Uh, if He didn't win the popular vote, so Electoral College is outdated. And they're saying Hillary Clinton's a bad candidate. Really? I thought she was the most qualified candidate ever, blessed by Barack Obama, anointed to be next, supported by her charismatic husband. Now, she was she was terrible. Really? OK. She controlled the DNC. She had the party nomination. She had no real challenge. But now she was terrible. Now, I thought she was terrible, but I never thought she was good. They told us for the longest time how great she was. Jason Miller was on with the president of the United States, excuse me, with uh, Chris Wallace yesterday. Chris Wallace is all over him. Cut six. His VP pick is in many ways his I'm sorry, cut four. My bad. It seems to me that you hurt your credibility if you don't admit, yeah, we're losing and we got to turn things around. No, I disagree. President Trump's the trajectory lines are going very well. Feel the campaign is in a good place. I think in particular, when you look battleground by battleground state, we're doing much better than the public polling, which always tends to lag behind what our private polling is showing us. We think he's in good position right now. And he does. He believes that. I feel a lot better about the Trump candidacy if he got Kellyanne Conway back, if he got Steve Bannon back, even though Steve Bannon said some negative things about him in a book later on. I think they've healed their ways. And Bannon's just too valuable. He's got a great sense. He's extremely bright, very experienced. I think he understands what's going on in this country with this pandemic. And he also understands how China is an election issue and a real national security issue. I bring him back and I put Bossian and Corey Lewandowski in there. They're smart. They're ferocious. And I think his opinions are valuable. I also think there's something laudable, especially in Corey's case. When nobody gave him a shot, the president gave Corey a shot and he gave the president a shot. And he is the definition of loyal. You never have to worry about Corey and Bossy and Kellyanne Conway. I don't believe. So I would love to see them in there. For some reason, Jared's not allowing that. I'm going to talk to Rick's got a little bit about this rescue package that's not getting out of the box in just a moment. Also, the challenges with the hurricane in Florida, which I think we're going to be okay. And also, we're going to talk about the number of cases in Florida. But yesterday, Mark Meadows showed how valuable he could be as chief of staff. He's also fundamentally, he's a very ferocious politician. He's extremely conservative, very confident, and very conversant in, these, in his opinions and the issues. For example, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to this uh, the COVID relief plan. He, people want to say that he doesn't want to give money to unemployed. That's not the case. Steve Mnuchin and him have been negotiating. I think they should have started earlier. But when you talk about how ugly this thing can get, uh, listen to Nancy Pelosi. She's out there uh, going after everybody except for blaming herself. She has no answer 
to why she didn't take the Republicans up on the continuing the $600 payments for at least a week so they can negotiate. Cut 24. So what do you say to those 30 million Americans who are now without federal unemployment help? I say to them, talk to President Trump. He's the one who is standing in the way of that. We have been for the $600. They have a $200 proposal, which does not meet the needs of America's working families. And it's a condescension, quite frankly, because they're saying really don't need it. They're just staying home uh, because they make more money at $600. So uh, the idea that they made a proposal is really not actually factual. No, it is factual. They said extend everything a week. Why doesn't there vicious follow-up, follow-ups to statements like that? Clyburn got away with it all weekend, too. I don't know the details, but uh, why are they jerking people around? Why are they jerking people around? He said we're in the middle of negotiations. We even negotiated on Saturday. Steve Mnuchin forgot to wear a tie. That's how serious the negotiations were. And they come out, they both talk and talk about progress. So let's give it a week to extend it. The week, everything that's the way you wanted it. And there's no way that the $600 is not an incentive not to work for people who are making more money not to work. People are angry. Through no fault of their own, in 2008, a lot of people got destroyed. Through no fault of their own, in every way, this pandemic destroyed livelihoods and careers. So they say, well, to stay home, I get an extra $600. Well, if you're a restaurateur, if you own a gym, if you own a retail store, it's been very hard to get people to make less to go back to work. one 866 I don't want to take any more time away from Tim, uh, from Rick Scott, the, the senator from Florida. So I'll take a time out now. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Teresa Payton. And Teresa is going to give us an idea about TikTok. President of the United States on Friday said, that's it. We're going to get it out. Microsoft said, hey, Mr. President, calm down. I might buy it. So maybe there'll be a bit of an extension. TikTok is an extremely popular site that almost everyone from 12 to 20 goes to. And it's China-made. Where they get your facial technology, they get your tendencies, they're able to listen to what you have to say. Do you really want China listening to us? I don't. Plus, I think collectively, China's under the impression all we do is dance for 15 seconds. We're pretty goofy, which I think might be a good deceptive, might be a good head fake. When we come back, I talk to Rick Scott, Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I feel very strongly that this man has taken on a strong-arm tactics. And I feel very strongly that he is Mussolini, Putin is Hitler. I said that back then, and I believe that. I believe very strongly that this guy never had any idea about being one to peacefully transfer power. I don't think he plans to leave uh, the White House. He doesn't plan to have fair and unfettered elections. I believe that he plans to install himself uh, in some kind of emergency way uh, to continue to hold on to office. 
Well, that is James Clyburn, who probably never met the president, who says he's going to stay there like Mussolini. How he gets away with this, I don't know. Senator Rick Scott joins us now. Uh, he's with the Homeland Security and Armed Services Committee and, of course, worried about Florida and that hurricane, which thankfully seems to be uh, dissipating. But, Senator, I just want you to comment on James Clyburn. Isn't that beneath his office? Yeah, I mean, but, but you know, Pelosi, Schumer, and name the Democrats. First off, they've all become socialists. And second, they'll say whatever they want. Right. This is all about winning elections. It's not about taking care of people. Think about last week, the Democrats blocked our ability to extend unemployment while we negotiate. They 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 blocked an ability to we had a bill that would say that people get paid two thirds of what they what they um, were making. They blocked that. And then they go out and say, oh, they're the party that cares. They don't care. I mean, think about it. when they go out and spend three trillion dollars. Do you want to spend another three trillion? Do you think they're worried about Social Security? No. Are they worried about Medicare or defense spending long term? No. They don't care. This is just about getting them in power this November. That's all they care about is power, power, power. And it all starts with Pelosi and Pelosi and Schumer. Those are the two that do it every day. And then there's no question. And, and the country's uh, as a bystander. First off, just to be, I just like to know what's the latest on the hurricane in Florida. Well, fortunately, it looks like it's going to be out of our state within the, within a few hours. We've gotten um, we've gotten a lot of you know rip currents. We got some um, some you know uh, flooding. We clearly got a lot of wind. Uh, we've got some power outages by our utilities are working hard to get that taken care of. We've got great local emergency management teams all across our state, a very good state emergency management team. So everybody's trying to work together. I've been talking to, um, you know, locals, especially a lot of sheriffs along the coast, and they were all prepared. All right, good. Uh, the state is, you guys are. About the virus, uh, the numbers have gone down the last couple of days. Where do you think we're at as it relates to Florida? Well, we clearly haven't beaten it yet, but if you, as you go out, I just got back to D.C. this morning. As you go out, I was out over the weekend. People are wearing their masks. They're, they're social distancing. But I, I think every level of government's got to be clear. Wear your mask, social distance. Tell us where there's, there's transmission and we'll stay away from it. So I think every level of government ought to be giving us more information. With more information, all of us will make better decisions. Do you think you made, do you think guys think you opened up too quick or didn't close quick enough or either one? Brian, we've got to open up this economy. I mean, we've got to figure out how to get people back to work. Um, you know, you can't. We look. I'm very hopeful. The federal government. We have funded uh, vaccine research. We've funded. Uh, we're buying vaccines even before they're proven. So we're doing our part. But we have to assume it's going to take longer than we think. Even though we can be very optimistic. So if it does, all right. What are we going to do? We can't keep this economy closed. We've got to open up this economy. We've got to get back to work safely. We've got to get our schools open safely. We've got to give parents choices. Do you want to have your child back in school or distance learning safely? We've got to do all these things, and we have to think about it, and we can. We can get this done. We've got to open up this economy now. What's got to be in this rescue package for Rick Scott to sign off on it? And, Senator, I bring you to the fact that the, the Democrats feel they won't sign anything without $600 and won't sign anything with uh, the the liability insurance in it that allows businesses to open without being sued. What's your reaction to both those things? Well, I mean, they're disingenuous. I mean, 
Pelosi and Schumer don't want to do a deal. They want to use this. They want to act like they're the ones who care and Republicans don't. That's all they care about. This is not they're not interested in helping people. They would have done something last week. So here's what's important to me. Let's the people that are on, on unemployment. Let's make sure we help them. The small businesses that are struggling the same business are reopened. Let's help them. Let's make sure our businesses can't all get sued um, by, by lawyers, even though they're trying to do the right thing. So we've got to have liability protection. And then let's don't waste your money. This is your money. This Somebody's going to pay this back. One thing that infuriates me is Cuomo and these other governors come and say, oh, 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 federal government, uh, we don't, I know we haven't lived within our means in the past. We have big debt and we, oh, we haven't been funding our pensions, but will you, you know, can we take this coronavirus and use it as a reason to get some other states to pay for our excesses? No, that is wrong. Florida taxpayers should not be paying for New York or Illinois or California or New Jersey or these states that never lived within their, within their means. I got elected with Cuomo back in 2010. And what did he do in his eight years? Increased his debt, increased his taxes. And did he grow his economy very fast? No. In contrast, I paid off a third of state debt in my state. We cut taxes in my state. And guess what? We added 1.7 million jobs. It works. But now Cuomo's come to us, even though he doesn't, he's never lived within his means. He'll spend money on every liberal issue there is. And he now wants to take coronavirus and say, oh, these other states ought to pay for his problems. No, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to fight it every day. 20 seconds. Should, should the president ban TikTok or let the Microsoft sale go through? Well, he should let the Microsoft sale go through. Um, I mean, hopefully that's exactly what will happen. I know a lot of people like TikTok, but if it's going to be controlled by the Communist Party, that's who controls communist China. They ought to be banned. Thanks so much, Senator Scott. Always great to talk to you. He's an impactful, sen- impactful senator, wants to make a difference, is not there just to collect the p- paycheck. Back in a moment, Teresa Payton's going to be with us. She knows what TikTok's been up to, why it's popular, and why it must be stopped. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All the data that goes into those mobile apps that kids have so much fun with and seem so convenient, it goes right to servers in China, right to the Chinese military, the Chinese Communist Party. I have been very opposed to TikTok. I was one of the first to expose the Chinese links. And I have urged that TikTok be closed down in America. Uh, you know, there's one thing Chuck Schumer's having a hard time criticizing the president on, being tough on China. So maybe we can close down TikTok, but it'll get everybody from 12 to 18 upset. But maybe it goes to Microsoft and they could shut it down. Teresa Payton joins us now, former White House Chief Information Officer from 06 to 08, Cybersecurity Authority and Identity Theft Expert, CEO and founder of Fort, uh, Fort Lease Solutions. Uh, Teresa, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. Always great to talk to you. Hey, Teresa, it's always great to have you on. Your unique expertise. Is the president on the right path banning TikTok? Well, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I I do know this because people are very focused on politics, and I'm not a politician, but I am a policy person and a cybersecurity person. And Department of Defense Intelligence put out a warning a long time ago before TikTok was really sort of, um, you know, talked about as far as the Tulsa event and things like that. So the president is not wrong that there are ongoing security concerns. The question is, can Microsoft hammer out a deal to actually respond to those security concerns adequately? 
So if Microsoft buys TikTok, which I'm wondering, first off, why they'd sell, uh, that they need the American market so much, because I'm sure there's other countries that don't have a problem with it, because they always seem slow off the mark. But would they sell, and could Microsoft seal off those backdoors? I think Microsoft really does have a unique opportunity here. They've been doing a lot in the collaboration space, um, especially with everybody, you know, a lot of people being sent home and using video conferencing uh, and collaboration tools. And so um, the challenge, Brian, is because I used to work on a lot of these due diligence deals when I worked in banking and 45 days to hammer out a deal that financially makes sense and makes the regulators happy, that is a Herculean effort in normal times. Here we are in a pandemic, and you have CFIUS basically overlooking this. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, They're going to have to work at warp speed to make this happen. Are you happy with the direction of U.S.-China relations as it comes to intelligence and... Um, in in terms of what's happening right now between these countries, the distrust that's coming through. Do you, do you feel as though this is a long time in coming, or does it get you worried? You know, the, the conversation has been a long time in coming. I mean, Brian, I think you and I talked a few years back about one of the intellectual property theft cases that I worked here in America. Uh, you know, the individual's in jail right now for selling um, secrets to uh, Chinese operatives from, uh, you know, companies here in America. And, and so it's been a long time coming, but I would like to see us move from, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the the punches to the nose, so to speak. Obviously, it's digital right now, um, given COVID-19, but uh, we really need to hammer out an opportunity. And actually, I think this could be uh, the sign of moving towards a more positive uh, way of setting up the guardrails between the U.S. and China. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this Microsoft TikTok deal, if it can get hammered out in a win-win kind of way, maybe this can set the new framework for how the guardrails need to be established for protecting consumer privacy, but also protecting intellectual property of American businesses. And so mm-hmm. I, I always hold out hope. Um, and I think as, as Sisius works on this deal with Microsoft and TikTok and ByteDance, uh, who's the owner, we have a unique opportunity here to have this be a, a positive milestone, a step forward, and an example uh, for guardrails that we could use on deals to come. Because they could find out the next generation's facial technology, so the recognition there. They could find out their tendencies. They could be listening in on conversations and then give them a tremendous, tremendous amount of intelligence about the next generation of Americans. Not that there's a lot of substance going on in TikTok. But, Teresa, you mentioned that there's not another time that you can remember that another app has been banned from another country. No, I, th- this is unprecedented. So typically what we're talking about is software products hardware products, uh, you know, things that are much more uh, tangible than an app on a smartphone. And so this would be unprecedented if an executive order were to come out or CFIUS were to say it it can't be used in America, like the steps that would have to be followed um, to ban TikTok in America, where most of our infrastructure is in the private sector, not in the government, you know, you'd have to compel Apple and Google you can no longer provide the app. You'd have to tell internet service providers and cellular providers, uh, don't let American phones uh, access the app. <laughs> you don't let devices access it from their homes. So 
it would be unprecedented if it were to be banned and it would be kind of paving new ground. I like the idea of Microsoft trying to hammer out a deal, but, you know, the proof is going to be in the details. I also saw, uh, by the way, are there any other specific security concerns you have with this that I'm not thinking of? That you this well, fun you app could, could do? Uh, no, you definitely did. I mean, patterns of life, how you access it, where you are when you access it, are you producing content, the facial recognition, your voice, the things that interest you, who you're connected to, what you share, what site you came from before you went to TikTok, what site did you go to when you left? So all of those patterns of life concern me that are being collected. The other piece is, We don't have full transparency right now, Brian, into how that information is stored, where in the world it is stored, if it is repackaged and sold, who it's sold to. So there's a lot more questions than there are answers, which is what gave Department of Defense Intel concerns, and it's some of the security and privacy concerns I've had from the very beginning with TikTok. So one thing you worry about is the fact that don't we have problems selling our apps there? I mean, are they buying our stuff? Is this a double part of the double standard? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what has to be hammered out here is, you know, what is the trade agreement here? And, uh, you know, if, we're, if our consumers are going to be consuming your products and using your products, then, you know, what's kind of the give and take here on trade? Um, so I think those are all really uh, critical things. You know, the other thing, too, Brian, that I think TikTok could do at the deal table, if they are interested in making Scythius uh, and America and even Microsoft as a purchaser more comfortable, they need to open themselves up to a review. They need to say, look, <laughs> a third-party assessor can come in. They can do a code review. We will walk them through step-by-step a new account setup, how that works, where the data goes. And basically, you know, they don't have to give away the secret sauce of how all of their algorithms work, but there has to be more transparency into sort of the inner workings of what happens to data of users once they start accessing it. So the big story today in the Wall Street Journal and other places, too, that Apple is facing a $1.4 billion lawsuit by a Chinese AI firm for their Siri patent. So I'll just read you what it says. The Shanghai company that was recently awarded a Chinese patent for a voice assistant, very similar to Siri, has filed a patent against Apple. If successful, could prevent the American tech giant from selling many of its products in its most important market outside the U.S. What are they up to? They know they manufacture Apple products. You would think they wouldn't want to blow it. Does anyone think that Apple stole Siri technology yet no one else had it? You know, this is an ongoing battle, Brian, when you do business um, with China, um, the government's point of view around business. And what's interesting is, is there are ongoing battles with American companies who have entered into joint ventures with China or who sell products in China, where there is a patent process in China separate and distinct from the American uh, Trademark and Patent Office, and they start filing patents that curiously look a lot like American companies. It's a joke. Can you imagine stealing your house? They're stealing something of yours and then claiming that you stole it from them. Yes, that's exactly what's going on here. And it's everything. It's everything from lighting systems and audiovisual layouts to, I mean, 
I can't tell you the countless amount of cases that we've worked on over the years where somebody sees like their entire plans, um, they're just rebranded uh, over, um, you know, and, and so the, I mean, you can certainly shortcut your R&D process. You don't need to do one if you can actually reverse engineer what somebody else is doing. And so all of this has to be discussed through diplomacy because, you know, we can no longer stand to have American businesses put their sweat equity into designing innovative solutions and then just have somebody copycat it. But you know Americans, if they could make more money, they do it. They owe it to their shareholders. They'll explain it. But now China is beginning to look. They know how this government is looking at China. And they have to look around saying, this is no longer working for us. I did not know this. But China already sued Apple for stealing the, the term iPad. They accused Apple of stealing the word iPad. They came up with iPhone. You would think iPad, oh, that's got to be a Chinese invention. And they wrote a check for $60 million because they actually lost in a Beijing uh, court. So it makes it's, it behooves Apple just to get this done with. But that type of bad behavior rewarded results, it gets, gets you more bad behavior. Yeah, that is the real challenge. And, and again, until we hammer out some type of a trade agreement. And remember, Brian, before COVID-19 hit the world, it was early January, President Trump and the president of China actually started hammering out I know. some trade negotiations. That seems like so many years ago. It was just January of 2020. Um, obviously, that's all gone by the wayside, and we need to get back to that deal table. Absolutely. Teresa Payton, thanks so much. Appreciate your cyber expertise. Thanks for having me on. You got it. one 408 7669 So we banned TikTok. Does that matter to you? This tough take on China, that matters to most Americans, according to recent polls. And the President of the United States now being told that he's, that he's Mussolini by James Clyburn. How is that acceptable? In America. And is Joe Biden going to get away without debating? His surrogates are plowing the ground. We will not let that happen. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a few minutes here. one 866 I'll try to get some more to know in, but Houston's being besieged by this coronavirus. So that's why I want to go out to KSEV, where Sharon's there in Houston. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Brian. I'm glad you're covering this TikTok thing, and I think we need to all be on our guard against this. I think it's a Trojan horse, because remember how the Chinese, uh, we need to inform and educate our young people how the Chinese government, the communist government, um, so gives social credit scores to its people. And they do it through facial re- recognition. They can't even walk out of their houses without being watched through facial recognition wherever they go. Yep. And yep. then the government gives them social credit scores. We need to be talking about this because we've got Feinstein out there talking about how the Chinese are so wonderful. They've given jobs to all these poor people. Baloney. 
Oh, she's a clown, and she's out of it. Meanwhile, her driver for 20 years was a Chinese spy. Can you imagine what she said in that car that hurt our defense? And know what they're doing in Hong Kong? They delayed elections. They're arresting activists. They're telling politicians who are pro-democracy they can't run. And they, they picked up a million Muslims and moved into a concentration camp and sterilized some of them. Here's Senator Dianne Feinstein. We hold China as a potential trading partner, as a a country that has pulled millions of, tens of millions of people out of poverty in a short period of time, and as a country growing into a respectable nation among other nations. And I deeply believe that. You are clueless and need to retire. You're almost 90. There's something else for you to do, isn't there? Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Look at this. The XFL has been sold. Then it is to The Rock. It'll be a partnership with uh, Jerry Carnally's private equity investment, Redbird Capital. They both spent $7 million, $7.5 million, and got this for $15 million. They got two network contracts, ESPN as well as Fox. They had a lot of talent, established league. The attendance was pretty good. The ratings started out strong. I always thought it had great potential. Uh, The XFL shut down really because of the pandemic in about week six, but it looked great and they were very innovative. I saw the defensive coordinator calling the plays. I was able to get access to the sideline. I listened to the coach talk to the quarterback. I love it and The Rock will not fail. Next. I'll tell you what, real quick, what I also loved about that behind the scenes stuff watching an XFL game, I loved watching the replay booth and watching the official break down his decision in real time on why he was either going to overturn or let the call stand. Next. Ratings crash for the NBA Major League Baseball after the protest-filled debut. Baseball and basketball draped in all sorts of Black Lives Matter and social justice symbolism for their opening games. Substantially smaller numbers. Are they linked? That's what I think. Uh, Outkick.com says neither league did well. As for the opening games, Outkick reported that the return of the NBA on TNT. So the following numbers, Lakers Clippers 3.4, Pelicans Jazz 2.1. ESPN's Major League debut numbers were also underwhelming. Yankees Nationals 4-0, Dodgers Giants 2-8. That's very pedestrian. Uh, Outkick's Ryan Gaspiegel added more ratings numbers on Twitter. Uh, To be fair, I compared Major League Baseball and NBA night one. Here is night two. Major League Baseball Mets Yankees, 922,000. Excuse me, Mets Braves, 922,000. Brewers Cubs, 1 million. Angels A is 797,000. I mean, these are, we crush them. Uh, NBA, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Celtics Bucks, you would think it would have a bigger number. That's a, that's a, Big potential matchup, and that only drew 1.3 million. Celtics, yes, so 1.3, and then Mavs Rockets, 1.7. Even in Texas, you would think people would need a break. Uh, Shocking, but not really. Get this, next. The first NHL player, a Canadian, kneels for the U.S. anthem and stands for O Canada. His name is Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild, became the first player to kneel for the U.S. national anthem. Dumba, who is a Canadian, was invited onto the ice for a special ceremony, walking down a red carpet and delivering a speech about racial justice. Then he knelt for the Star Spangled Banner. How ma- I cannot tell you how many problems I have with this. More sports. Pac-12 football players show unity. Uh, they list their demands in a letter. Uh, to their conference, uh, this according to the Players' Tribune. The letter is signed by players in the Pac-12 using the hashtag, hashtag WeAreUnited to explain the group's concern, saying, quote, 
because NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically, economically, and academically, and also disproportionately harm black college athletes. Hashtag we're united. Well, you better get in there and negotiate because you have don't have time on your side. Unlike NFL players, you're not just going to sit out and come back. you got to play and prove yourself unless you don't want to. And lastly, astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Burk- uh, Birkin splashed down to the Gulf of Mexico Sunday at 2.48 Eastern. The NASA astronauts spent two months on the International Space Station. They have emerged from the Dragon capsule and will begin their journey home to their families. No need to quarantine. Congratulations to the Crew Dragon and to SpaceX and their partnership with NASA. We're back in action. And guess who took us down? Space Coast, pay attention. The Obama administration. Guess who put you back up? Trump. Guess who put you in Mars? Trump. And also gave you a space force. I hope somebody brings that up except me. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. From New York and heard around the country, this is Brian Kilmeade, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. You can always watch us on Fox Nation. You don't have to wait for Stuart Varney to do a simulcast and see what we look like. And if you ever have to leave your family or our family of affiliates, wherever you're located, go to radio.com and catch up with us then. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by New York Post Michael Goodwin. The New York Post has taken real legitimate concern in what's happening to this city, uh, arguably the number one city in the world, which was virtually crime-free and certainly on a path that we've never thought possible in our lifetime, especially if you came up in the 70s and 80s. But now the numbers are staggering, what's happening, the changes, and what needs to happen to go back to the path we were on. Number one, get rid of this idiot mayor. Uh, Number two, at the bottom of the hour, Brett Baer will bring us the latest on politics as the Trump team went dark for a few days, reconfigured, is back up, and ready to blitz in battleground states. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Gunfire in Harlem Sunday is just the latest example of a spike in gun violence. New York has now exceeded the total number of shootings for all of 2019 with five months of the year still to go. Law and disorder is not coming from our major cities. We cannot get a hold of the violence. Portland, Chicago. Minneapolis and most of New York record record homicides and shootings amid indications that the defunded, dispirited police are unable to help as more and more officials and police commissioners have protests at their house instead of in the streets. Number two. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban areas. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. No kidding. Dr. Deborah Burks, coronavirus is not going away and a rescue package remains far away as Menace Pelosi finds a new enemy. It's Dr. Burks. Her response makes the speaker look as small and petty as we know her to be. Number one. It's not really a debate if only one side is willing to tell the truth. Giving him that sort of national forum 
to continue to spout, you know, to get to 21,000 or 22,000 lies, I think just isn't worth it for for the Democrats or or for Biden. Up, I think we're being set up today in the New York Times editorial section. Why the debate shouldn't happen. They used to be good when Nixon and JFK were doing it in black and white, but now it's no substance. 2020 comes into focus. Biden will run from Trump. He's not campaigning and possibly not even debating while stealing many of his themes. Today is bringing America back to work. Really? Where do you get that from? Meanwhile, many in his party panicked because he cannot seem to pick a number two. And because he named the contenders, they're all trying to kill each other. I'll tell you how Trump plans to fight through it all. First off, on the campaign and the unwillingness of Biden to debate. The only way that Trump can guarantee that Biden shows up all three times is to close the gap. And we'll know he's closing the gap when Democrats start attacking more and we start seeing them come out and put Biden out more with more extraordinary statements. And guess what they'll do? They'll move them more to the left because that's where they think they can get additional votes. The ones in the center have been maximized. You have people on the left like Bernie Sanders saying, we're going to get him elected and they're going to push him left. He's already saying he's going to be a progressive president, the most progressive since FDR. So for Bill Stepien, who's now running the Trump campaign, he knows they got to put the pressure on Biden to make him campaign, at which time, my words, not his, he'll fall apart. Cut to. I want to see President Trump on the debate stage against Joe Biden. As you're noting, we're already seeing uh, the, the liberal left, uh, the liberal media trying to, to create trap doors for, for Joe Biden to escape uh, his commitment and his obligation to debate Donald Trump on a debate stage. And we're going to keep applying pressure to the, to the Biden campaign. We take our cues from the American people, American people in those 16 states that, that are going to be voting before September 29th. They're the ones who want to see the candidates on the debate stage. Really starting to see grassroots pressure amp up from those corners of the country who, who expect, want and deserve the chance to see their options right in front of them on the debate stage. So that was his first interview today with Bill Stepien was on Fox and Friends. Michael Goodwin joins us now, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, is this a legitimate worry the Trump team has to worry about Biden not showing up? Uh, Brian, yes. And I think you nailed it by saying that that Biden is comfortable now in the basement because he has a big lead. And so he I think they're testing this. I think this is a these are the uh, the spear carriers for for Biden's campaign, testing this idea that he doesn't have to debate. And, of course, blaming Trump, uh, Trump, Trump lies. Therefore, Biden doesn't have to debate. I mean, Biden doesn't lie. Uh, So uh, I think this is just the beginning because they know, um, as you and Stepien both pointed out, that that Biden uh, is very vulnerable when he gets out there. Look, there was a story over the weekend, too, Brian, that uh, not only are are the Democrats lobbying to get their their pick for VP on the ticket, but that uh, others are also telling him what position they would like in the administration. So they're down to measuring the curtains in the Oval Office already. Uh, I think it's a little early for all that. Oh, by the way, Hillary Clinton, same thing. And that was the most common phrase in 2016, measuring the drapes. So uh, 
when it comes to law and order, Joe Biden wants it both ways. I back the cops. Absolutely. I don't want to defund the cops, but I want to reprogram money to other people. Number two, he's not coming out and condemning all this violence where you have a huge contingency in the Democratic Party who wanted to fund the cops. It's happening in Portland. They're unable to have in Minneapolis. They're telling people how to handle being uh, being held up, how to give up your iPhone, how not to fight back. Because the cops aren't going to be there. And look at these numbers in New York City. Shootings so far in 2020, 784. In all of 27 to 2019, 776. Well, and murders are up about 25 or 26 percent. And so roughly that means uh, in, in, in most years lately, New York has had about 300 murders. So that would be 150 for the first six months of the year. Well, to be up another quarter from that, to be up 25 percent, tells you that, uh, you, you know, you're talking another 40 or 50 murders, uh, that uh, 35 or 40 murders, I'm sorry. So uh, those are real people. Those are people who have been murdered because of changes in the laws and because everybody is handcuffing the cops. The New York Post had a story over the weekend, a, a ride-along with two cops, and, and one of the officers was telling the reporter about all of the new rules he has to follow in a confrontation so that if he gets into a, 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 a fight, a real uh, hand-to-hand fight with a suspect, he cannot touch him on the chest, he cannot touch him on the diaphragm, cannot touch him on the head. I mean, what, what kind of rules are this? We're asking people in combat effectively to, uh, to not punch, to, to, what, risk their own lives? And then if not, we're going to arrest you? It's I crazy. Mean, and in Minneapolis, I mean, you know, you're basically, uh, when you're telling this, the citizens, the victims of crime to surrender without a fight, you're giving an incentive to the criminals. You're telling them, go ahead. We've just made it easier for you to make money. I mean, what a crazy world. Yeah, let me read the, the, what the Minneapolis Police Department put out to the people. The prevention tips to residents. Do not walk alone. Be prepared to give up your cell phone and purse and wallet. Despite all our efforts, robberies will occur. Do not argue or fight with the criminal. Do as they say. Your safety is most important. That's from the cops. They're telling us you're on your own. Do as they say. Imagine that. The criminals are in charge. We, we, the police, we, the officials of Minneapolis, we concede that you should do as they say. That's a surrender. That's an absolute surrender to criminality. Portland, these far-less activists went into uh, the Oregon uh, suburbs to go after a police precinct. Thankfully, the police stood up and didn't let them have it. We know the the results would happen in Portland as well as uh, Minneapolis, excuse me, Seattle as well as Minneapolis. It's been a disaster. Now I see that these protests are showing up in the liberal mayor of Oakland, the liberal mayor of Portland, the liberal mayor of Seattle. Now they're showing up at the police chiefs of uh, Dermot Shea over in New York City and in the Nassau County police chief's house, Patrick Ryder. So they're protesting at their place. Now, Ryder and Shea are not liberals or anything, but they're the ones in charge of bringing law and order to the city. So the liberals that say it's time to defund the police and put the money into programs and kickball games, they're getting their heads kicked in. You know, I thought it was amazing, too, Brian, on that thing of showing up at people's homes that Bill Barr, the attorney general testifying last week about Portland, said that uh, demonstrators were showing up at the hotels uh, 
where the agents uh, that were brought in were staying, so they couldn't get any sleep. I mean, what what kind of protest is this now, where you go to people's homes and you essentially threaten them, disturb them, disturb their neighborhood, frighten them, frighten their families? What kind of protest is this now? I mean, it seems to me that what's developing here is just a real mean streak and a whole lot of people. And I look, I th- you, where you started with the president and, and trying to put Biden on the defensive uh I think that there, the Biden campaign has, is going to have a lot to answer for unless it cleanly separates itself from this madness and from this criminality. And he did say something last week to the fact that uh, rioters and looters should be prosecuted. But who's going to arrest them? If the cops are all uh, being defunded uh, by by your allies, uh, Bernie Sanders and the others, who's going to arrest these people? Who's going to prosecute them? Uh, so I, I think Biden, this is, a, this is a tricky situation for Biden, and I think it's going to continue, because I think that that part of the Democratic Party, the radical far left, I don't think Biden has much uh, support among them. I don't think he has much influence uh, on, on how they behave. They are kind of on their own. They're, they're essentially part of the Democratic Party, but not part that respects Joe Biden. I want you to hear the I'm going to enhance what you just said in terms of the problems Biden has. Senator Bernie Sanders is speaking out loud uh, on television, saying things that we all know that's going to happen after he's elected. That's when the left goes. Listen to him. Cut seven. But what we are engaged in now is what we call coalition politics. We're going to fight out our differences after Biden is elected. Mm-hmm. But right now, the immediate task is to come together to defeat Trump. And then as progressives, we're going to do everything that we can to make the Biden administration the most progressive administration that it can become. Oops. I'm, uh, did I just say that? That's exactly <laughs> what Trump's been saying. That's right. That that the Biden you see now is not necessarily the Biden who would be president because and, and, and look, I think Biden has already gone a long way. I mean, he outsourced the uh, his own version of the Green New Deal to AOC and others. They're working on criminal justice. They're working on tax policy. I mean, it's very much true that that. Bernie Sanders still commands the energy of the Democratic Party, not necessarily the majority of votes, but the but the activist wing is more aligned with him. And Biden trying to unite the party has outsourced a lot of his ideas to them and a lot of his policies. You will see the Democratic platform uh, read as though something that Bernie Sanders wrote because he is actually writing it. At some point, we have to believe what we're seeing and reading people don't want to believe it they say joe biden's always been middle of the road he hasn't been but he the people around him are and he says he's changed soon we have to take his word for it michael you wrote about something i'm I'm extremely concerned about and that is his mail-in ballots obviously the president thinks it's horrendous i think it's awful we're not going to have a winner i don't think on on november 3rd if we allow this widespread thing to happen it looks like nevada is the latest state to push ballots out to the entire state. What bothers you most about it? Well, Brian, I think there are two aspects to it. One is just the the 
the the systems in most states are not equipped to handle the volume of mail-in voting because there there's extra time-consuming things that go with not just opening the envelopes but verifying uh, the signatures, verifying the postmarks, all and and checking it against the the register rolls, making sure the person didn't also vote uh, in person. Uh, the second the second part of that is. Every step of that process uh, opens a window to mischief and fraud. And so I think you have just the, the logistics of, of massive numbers, uh, and then you have the possibilities and enhanced possibilities of fraud uh, and double voting, harvesting ballots, etc., even foreign meddling. I mean, who's to say you can't print up your own ballots and, and make great forgeries? So I think that this thing will be a disaster. Uh, I point to two races in New York City, two congressional races. The, the primaries were held June 23rd. Here we are in early August. They still haven't been decided. Uh, three, two other races, it took three weeks. We're now approaching six weeks for these two races. Thousands of pounds, thousands of ballots have been invalidated and from, that were filed as absentees. And that more than enough to swing the election. So you have these election officials and judges, because there are lawsuits right. involved, making the decision as to whether to count a vote. And that can never go well. No one is, at the end, Absolutely. no one is going to trust, A, the presidential election if it's close. No one's going to trust the Senate, the House races, the governor's races, the state legislative races. All these could be upended by a universal mail-in plan that is being considered by many states. No question. And, Michael, it's up to the Trump administration to be full, uh, uh, proactive and say, I know it's a pandemic. I know you're concerned. So we'll maybe dig it a two-week Maybe a two-day election, maybe November 2nd and November 3rd, try to pass that. I don't know if it can. Or do this, uh, provide financing to flood these regions, these counties, these towns with extra polling places, even if it means giving poll workers a raise. Get the National Guard. Say, I'm going to commission the National Guard to work these areas and function as poll workers and, and enforce the social distancing and protocols. Something to, sh- to acknowledge the pandemic, the challenges, but to do something that meets them in the middle. Would you agree to that? Well, look, I I think the problem is uh, the blue states uh, are probably going to have to be stopped in court or by uprisings in their own state, which is unlikely, because there is a correlation. The the blue states, the ones that have shut down the most, are the ones that are arguing – for mail-in ballots gotcha. because because they have the most COVID. So, Michael, great so, column. I got to run, but I appreciate all that, the quality, Tom. I agree with you 100%, which means you got to be right. Brett Bear <laughs> next. <laughs> You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, sorry, I went a little long with Michael Goodwin. Got Brett Baer just around the corner, one 408 7669 I'll end with calls, but I do have an announcement, and it's good news for us and our family of affiliates. We added another 
KRLN 1400 AM over in Cannon City, Colorado. Uh, that's going to be great. Their slogan is News Radio 1400. I just did some of those promos, so that's going to be great. And we're privileged to be in Colorado, which I believe will be a battleground state. It certainly will be a Senate, uh, a tough battle for that Senate seat currently held by Cory Gardner. Uh, back in a moment, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show on a very, very busy Monday. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's really the virus and our ability to control the virus, either through clamping back down, getting the case count down so that we can test and trace and keep this thing under control, or eventually getting a vaccine or a robust therapy. That's the only way we're really going to have a real robust economic recovery. Otherwise, we're going to have flare-ups, lockdowns, and a very halting recovery with many more job losses and many more bankruptcies for an extended period of time, unfortunately. So that's Neil Kashkari on Face the Nation yesterday. He is uh, president of Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis. Can you believe he said lockdown? No way are we locking down again. No way. This is all we already haven't locked up. We haven't unlocked. We cannot lock down again. And I don't know what he's talking about. Behavior can happen whether you're locked down or not. We're not staying inside. Melbourne, for some reason, in Australia, they're going to stay inside. South Africa. Do you know India is going to pass us in total cases? California is about to pass New York in total cases. This is not, I'm not necessarily thinking this behavior. I think this virus, which everyone pretends they know what it is, but no one really does, I think it's got a mind of its own. And we don't have to destroy our economy on purpose again. Please. He goes on. If we were to lock down really hard, I know I I hate to even suggest it. People will be frustrated by it. But if we were to lock down hard for a month or six weeks, we could get the case count down so that our testing and our contact tracing was actually enough to control it. The way that it's happening in the Northeast right now, they had a rocky start, but they're doing a pretty good job right now. Now, if we don't do that and we just have this raging virus spreading throughout the country with flare-ups and local lockdowns for the next year or two, which is entirely possible, we're going to see many, many more business bankruptcies, small businesses, big businesses, and that's going to take a lot of time to recover from to rebuild those businesses and then to bring workers back in and re-engage them in the workforce. That's going to be a much slower recovery for all of us. Okay, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, That is a guy that's a pure numbers guy, and I cannot believe he's even recommending that. couple of things. Do you know that even though New York had three deaths, and I feel bad for all those three families, I get it, but it's not 3,000, not 300, it's not even 30 in the whole state coronavirus-related, and yet they still have not opened indoor restaurants or gyms? Still, and now you want to shut down everything? We already don't have any of the big banks coming in with their personnel. Everybody's working from home. We have no tourism. Everyone's staying home. We have nobody using mass transportation. That's no tax dollars helping rebuild the city that's been destroyed by the protest. Do you see what's happening here? 
How about the Sweden model? Those with underlying conditions, we rally to support them. We protect them. Those seniors, we rally to support them and we protect them. And those people who are going through uh, illnesses and recovery, we rally to support with them and we protect them. We then let everybody else work to get our economy going because a weak America hurts the entire world. And my problem is a lot of the doctors are just as haphazard as a lot of these economists. They don't understand there's people behind those numbers and there's impact behind those statements. Case in point, here's what doc, how Dr. Anthony Fauci described what we did from February until late May. Cut 15. If you look at what happened in Europe when they shut down or locked down or went to shelter in place, however you want to describe it, they really did it to the tune of about 95 plus percent of the country did that. When you actually look at what we did, even though we shut down, even though it created a great deal of difficulty, we really functionally shut down only about 50 percent in the sense of the totality of the country. Totally not true. But I don't have the numbers in front of me. Mark Meadows did. He hears this and said that. Cut 16. But when you mentioned Dr. Fauci, I think his his pushback on that was where Dr. Fauci talked about 50 percent shutdown versus 95. There is no data that would suggest that's that's correct. In fact, I would say there's data just the opposite of that. Well, we shut down uh, when we shut down. Uh, We actually shut down more than 50 percent of the country to try to contain that. And that and that's just it. So he says it. He looks like Phil Rizzuto. He acts like he's very trustworthy. Everybody's uncle or grandfather. And he's very smart and experienced. But here he's been all over the place. He's doing small podcasts. He's doing big network shows. And he comes off pliable and nice. But a lot of stuff he says isn't right. So Dr. Burks came out and said, Alaska, Hawaii, Missouri, Montana, Oklahoma, we're worried about uh, large infections coming your way. So if you're listening to us in those states, look out. Hawaii's getting hit again. Uh, 478 deaths on Sunday, 50,000 new cases on Sunday. But new cases can be quick and they can be false positives. I'm getting a lot of that. A lot of people writing me saying that, do you know what's going on here? I didn't show up for my test. I went to the waiting room. The line was so long, I left. I get a note in the mail. I tested positive. That's happened way too much. So Nancy Pelosi decides to rip Dr. Burks in the New York Times and then was asked about it on ABC. Cut 13. In a closed meeting on Friday, you accused Dr. Deborah Burks of the Coronavirus Task Force of spreading disinformation about the pandemic. Is that true? I think the president is spending, uh, spreading disinformation about the virus and she is, his, uh, she is his appointee. So I don't have confidence there, no. Doesn't have confidence in him. Called a Pollyannish. Cut 14. I have tremendous respect for the speaker. Um, it was unfortunate that New York Times wrote this article without speaking to me. This was not a Pollyannish view. I have never been called Pollyannish or non-scientific or non-data driven. That's true. I know on Fox they just said they don't know what, where the, the president came up with the uh, defending Dr. Burks from the Nancy Pelosi attacks. That's it. She attacked her. She says she basically has no use for him because she backs up the president's lies. You believe that? So that's what's going on with the coronavirus. Don't say that the president is causing unrest. Yeah, some things he says he should take back. But his, his five o'clock pressers have been pretty strong. 
shows he's in tune, but still trying to push us to move forward. We just have to be a country that decides to do stuff. Okay, I got to go back to work. It's you know, it's a bit of a challenge. How do I do it? How do I get those kids back to school? How do I do it? How do I handle getting my teachers feel comfortable? How do I do it? Instead, I can't do it. Teachers don't feel comfortable. I can't go back to work. It's too dangerous. Can't go back to work. I got to get on a, on a train. Where did this where did this can't do attitude come from? It's everyone's resting. Everyone's hiding in a corner, expecting to get a check in the mail, and blaming people. And something's got to go. Come forward, somebody. Some person, something has to happen to make the American people understand they're more responsible for their own welfare than they let on. They watch television and think somebody should take care of them. And it's just not going to be the case. Real quick, before I take a break, on the vice presidential search, he is really down to Susan Rice, Karen Bass, Kamala Harris, and Val Demings. I can't see anybody else. I don't think Val Demings is going to do it. It's got some dicey things in our past. Also, I don't think the Democratic Party wants law and order. She was sheriff or a police chief, whatever they called it in Florida at the time, where she served. Number two, uh, uh, Susan Rice has absolutely no political experience, but has been around politics her whole life. She's been a policy person on foreign policy, exactly the so-called asset of, of Joe Biden. But her number one thing, she's compatible with Joe Biden, and I'm sure she's been pushed and promoted by Barack Obama. I think she is 1B. 1A is Kamala Harris. So what's happening is, and then Karen Bass. How Karen Bass can be a contender? She's got no discernible accomplishments. She spent her youth worshiping in Cuba Fidel Castro. And listen to her defend her controversial salute to Fidel Castro after he died. She has to justify her statement calling El Capitan or whatever that translates to. On with Chris Wallace. Cut nine. I absolutely would have not put that statement out. And I will tell you that after talking to my colleagues who represent the state of Florida, raised those concerns with me, lesson learned, would not do that again. Really? I had no idea people in Florida, in Cuba, who usually fled by raft in the middle of the night, hoping to survive the rough seas, many of which didn't. I had no idea they didn't like Fidel Castro. I had no idea it would rub them the wrong way, even though I've been going there since I'm 18. And she's not 18 anymore. Cut 10. And let me explain, too, because I think the use of the term comandante and jefe, what I meant by that is, is that clearly in Florida, that is a term that is endearing to him. I didn't see it that way. I was expressing condolences to the Cuban people, to the people in Cuba, not Cubans around the world. I don't think that is a toxic expression in California. But let me just say, Chuck, lesson learned. Wouldn't do that again. Talked immediately to my colleagues from Florida and realized that that was something that just shouldn't have been said. Every once in a while, when a dictator dies and prior to being a dictator, he killed millions of people, uh, you praise him. It's happened to all of us. We, we realize that uh, Hitler had a fever and might not recover. So I said, get well. I shouldn't have said that get well card. Uh, Mussolini, you know, I know he, he killed a lot of people and destroyed a lot of countries. But you know what? Uh, he died, and I just thought I'd salute him. By mistake, it happens. You know, Maduro, uh, if something happens to him, I hope by mistake, I don't, I don't say I'll worship you forever and never forget what you achieved. Every once in a while, you might just salute somebody that is a brutal dictator that, that killed millions and drove their country into poverty.
It happens. How could she be a contender? If Republicans are smart, they should not say a word. Now, Kamala Harris is an attractive candidate, attorney general, senator from a big state that he doesn't need, but he, he's going to have already. But the, And gives a great speech, quite bright, really good in these hearings. The problem is, let me see, not conversing on any issues. Uh, she had a campaign that was extremely well-financed and supported. It turns out she never pre-thought any controversial question. She never came up with a platform. And the infighting was so bad, even though she had plenty of money left and did okay in one pre- previous caucus, disbanded her campaign before uh, New Hampshire. So who is supporting who I find quite interesting because she has some supporters. Val Demings has some supporters. Elizabeth Warren has some supporters. But into this is Democrat hurting Democrat. But because everyone's got their own supporters, they got uh, their own detractors. Now, Harris was ripped by Chris Dodd, who's doing a lot of the evaluating. Remember, according to Chris Dodd, she says, I have no regrets about attacking Joe Biden at the debate. Why would she? It was her one good moment. And then Ed Rendell uh, backed her. Uh, Andrea Bell, excuse me, did not like her, who used to run the DNC, but she got backed by uh, lawyer Benjamin Crump, big civil rights attorney. Now, Clyburn is agitated that Bass and Demings have been pitted against each other. He says, why haven't you pitted Whitmer and Warren against each other? So he sees race as an issue. And then you still have Tammy Duckworth, who will not was not asked if she would take a George Washington statue down. Look, 20 plus years of military service, lose both her legs in a chopper crash. She loves the country. Can she honestly say that George Washington statue? Can she back George Washington? Is that too much to ask? And Susan Rice and her and the baggage that she brings. He boxed himself into a corner by saying woman of color. And a woman, whatever happened to best candidate, now when they're placed there, if they are a woman of color or a minority, and they're placed there, they'll say, well, the only reason is he narrowed down the process, and it was only the choice of three. It's like being getting a gold medal in rhythmic gymnastics. There's only 20 people in it. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like winning boxing. one 866 you can use that rhythmic gymnastics analogy. I expect it to be used like wildfire all throughout the day today. Back in a moment. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a few minutes here. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, if anybody wants any of my books, we're in this war on history. A lot of people ask about Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I don't have that for kids, and I don't have Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans for kids. But for young readers, I have George Washington's uh, Spies. It's off the Secret Six, and Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates. It's for young readers. So especially they've not been going to school. It's the middle of the summer. If you want something, I think that they did an unbelievable job knocking it down uh, for their reading level. So I hope you get it. But if you want to go order it, BrianKillMe.com. Uh, if you want it signed, or just go to Amazon to look it up. Uh, so let's go out to Mike, listening in Florida. Hey, Mike, what kind of COVID testing are you witnessing? How you doing? Um, it just um, seems to be so sporadic. And, and um, like my son got tested twice, one positive, one negative. His friend went in, got tested, and he got two negatives and a positive. And, you know, and then this business of them counting 
you know, if you're with five people and you go in and get tested, well, that's six cases. Well, that's, that's not the truth, <laughs> you know? And so the numbers are rate really skewed. And I mean, our business has been open since day one as an essential business and we don't have any employees that have gotten it. Thank God. And you know, all these five months, um, and we have three locations and we have, um, I don't, I don't know anybody who's gotten it. So let me ask them with three <laughs> so, tests. What kind of tests were they the like, wait a week test? Were they the Abbott 15 minute tests? What? Um, they were all waiting for results tests. How long you know, did they wait? Um, oh, I'm sorry. How long did they wait? About a oh, week? Um, in the, in the five to six day range to get the test back. One of my employees thought that he might have it. So he went and got tested and he waited, um, like nine days for his results came back and they came back negative. You know, I, you I know? tell you what, I, I blame Mike Pence for this. I mean, the, the president told him to do this, get it done. They finally came up with the test. It's a matter of mass producing it. They need the reagents and swabs. The actual tests are fine, you believe it or not. The labs are overrun. We could have built 20 million labs by now. I'm really doubting, especially in Florida, Mike. I keep on hearing your stories about this. Missouri is on the list that's going to be hit. Uh, I called back to Dr. according to Dr. Burks. Let's go out to Columbia, Missouri. Richard. Hey, Richard. Yeah. What's in your mind, Richard? I'm talking about that $600 a week. How do you feel about it? Pelosi wants. Why don't they just give the guys up to, like, within 90% of what their take-home pay was when they got laid off? Yeah, they were giving another 20%. Yeah, right now it's at 70. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's harder to get that program going, to get it done on a mass basis. I'm not sure. But, Richard, here's the thing. These business owners, there's less business owners than employees. These business owners say, I can't get people to come back to work for me in retail stores and gyms, the ones that are open, not in New York and New Jersey, excuse me, because in New Jersey, they're all closed and it's just sinful. But the other ones, they can't get them working in these jobs because they get more not to work. But there are more employees than employers, so they have a louder voice. Now, they, some people wrote me before and said, oh, you're not allowed to do that. If you get a job offer, you have to go back to work. Well, a lot of them are friends. So that, that employee that's been a hard worker for you and says, sorry, Mr. Johnson, I can't go back. I'm getting paid more and I got my family to not work. So is he going to call up the unemployment office in the state and turn in his friend or his friend of his friend that you hired? You know, it's not, we're not that callous as a country, but it's all getting toward guaranteed pay to do nothing. The whole feeling in this country where there's the glory of work, whether it makes you famous or not, that feeling at the end of the day that I have a job and I have a career doesn't seem to matter. And it's getting scary. Back to work. Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.